But there we go. All right, so welcome to a conversation at the Leaky Cauldron. My name is Wesley. This is Sarah. I'm Sarah. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. There we go. We've got a great audience here. Um, honestly, guys, uh, this, thanks so much for coming. Um, and we hope that this will be an interesting and kind of different approach to Harry Potter for you. Um, I assume that all of you have read the books. Is that fair? Yeah. Just, just, just uh, stop me if, if you know if we're spoiling anything for you. No, um, I think if you have any of you heard any of the podcast episodes. Uh, awesome. Wow. That is that is truly a gold star for you. I continue you. to make jokes. Not certain that we have people listening. That's so cool. We were just talking like, well, I hope I hope we have a few people. Yeah. yeah. So we started this about a year ago. Um, it was actually our third friend, Alex Schmid, who kind of got us started podcasting. Um, he couldn't be here today. He's on vacation in Thailand or something like that. He's that kind of person. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, um, we all met at St. John's College in Annapolis. Um, each of us kind of came from a different background to arrive there. If you haven't heard of it, it's a great books college, uh, meaning that we basically approach uh, texts as if they have something of, of great value to teach us. Um, these are, you know, starting from Homer and Plato up through Nietzsche. Uh, that's kind of the scope of the program there. Uh, looking at history, looking at politics, um, of course, philosophy and literature, uh, but also math and science. And so, um, now, from there, each of us kind of dispersed, uh, and now we teach at schools around the West Coast here. I'm in Spokane, um, Sarah's here in Seattle, and Alex is down in San Diego. And uh, we have been kind of talking through these books as a way to reconnect with one another, as a way to uh, apply some of what we learned at, at our grad program, uh, and try to share it with as many people as possible. Um, so I guess, Sarah, I wanted to give you the, uh, the mic here, so to speak, and <laughs> fill yeah. in the rest of the intro. Sure. Um, so on our, on our conversations um, that we record, um, we always have um, kind of a, a kitschy or a imaginative question um, that's sometimes seasonal, like what kind of you know, wizarding gift would you want for Christmas or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so I figured um, uh, Wes and I will just share a little bit. Um, my name is Sarah. I grew up here in Seattle. I teach at Seattle Academy of Arts and Sciences up on Capitol Hill. Um, I have been teaching for 11 years, and um, I consider myself uh, a Gryffindor, a chaser. Um, <laughs> if I had to pick a teacher that I would be most like, it would be Minerva McGonagall, because I'm known for being kind of unkind, but I think my students learn. Um, um, intense, shall we say? Strict. Strict, austere. right? Okay, austere, yeah. Um, so I wanted to just give you a little bit about um, our, our podcast. It used to be called um, uh, Potter's Pockets, um, which I, I love Alex. I know he's not here um, to defend himself, but what... <laughs> Wes and I thought it should be called Hagrid's Pockets because that's where everything is kept. Um, he has all kinds of like 
crazy things in, inside of his pockets. Um, and that's a, a, a line from one of the first chapters of the first book when yeah. we meet him, that he's got all, all kinds of strange things. And we sort of anticipated that our conversations would yield that. Um, Alex likes alliteration, so we went with Potter's Pockets, and then we changed it a while back when we decided we were having all of our conversations at night, and we kind of wanted a an adult beverage. Um, so Conversations at the League of Cauldron is, how we, is what we turned it into. Um, and um, a couple of people who I've explained this project to um, have asked how we, how we arrived at it. And I think Wes, you sort of um, identified two things. Like first, the first thing is our shared love of Harry Potter. And the second thing is, as, as, a, as a trio, our shared love of St. John's. Um, and um, because we are in Seattle, there's a very high likelihood that um, folks in, the, in this room haven't heard of the school. There's about 900 undergrads out in Annapolis, maybe it's 600 tiny. in Santa Fe. Yeah. Um, it's tiny, but um, for me especially, I was teaching um, at the time in D.C., and it was, it was kind of an, a place where I was exposed to, like, really exciting and interesting ideas, um, sort of a, a, a place of, um, you know, intellectual rebirth, shall we say. Um, and it's where I met Wes. We were on the graduate council together because we um, were foolish enough to volunteer. Um, but um, in order to kind of give you a background for the kind of conversation that we like to have on the podcast and that we want to invite you into, um, we just want to tell you a little bit about the school and how they operate. So there are no professors at St. John's. Um, in fact, the professors are the books that we read. So the professors are Homer, or Plato, or uh, Machiavelli, or um, Adam Smith, or uh, Mary Shelley. Whatever the book is, that's the teacher. And we have tutors alongside us who are um, there to help us like, not go too far afield yeah. and ask important and probing questions. But the, the style of learning is um, focused exclusively around the seminar table. Um, and so we sit in a circle, and we have our books open, and we just unpeel layers um, to kind of um, go from um, surface-level understanding of what is the text saying to um, what does that mean um, um, at, its, at its core, at its bedrock foundation. Um, and it was something that once we all graduated, we longed for. Um, and so as we, as we think about applying that to Harry Potter... Um, it sort of um, forced us to ask the question, well, why Harry Potter? Um, it's something that all three of us like read and loved and, and, and experienced awe and wonder in. And I know I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> I'm sure that those experiences are not unique. Um, but um, we all three sort of wanted to recapture that. And in our estimation, applying the, the St. John's strategy that is um, a combination of curiosity, of gravity, of taking seriously what's in the text, um, as though it's intentional and meant for us to unpeel. Um, so curiosity, gravity, humility, a fair dash of humor, um, and, and then applying that lens to this thing that we know so well has, in, in a lot of ways, brought us a second kind of wonder at the text, I think. Um, I think sometimes when we when we 
encounter a piece of, of art, be it literature or film or painting, um, you can kind of experience it with an analytical eye and you can experience it with your heart, right? You can be taken along a story or you can break it apart into its component pieces. And I think what we have found, and I hope I, I don't want to speak for Wes, but maybe I do, is that um, as we have applied the St. John's eye, so to speak, to the, to the text, what we've found is that that kind of analytical eye um, has given us another experience of wonder and, and kind of soul in the text. Um, and, and that's something we wanted to get back from a book that, or a series of books that is fairly seminal to um, people our age, um, sort of speak, and people not our age, right? But, right. Um, you know, I read it when I was Harry's age. Um, I read the books as I was his age, by and large, um, and I felt like I grew up grew up with it, and it's kind of been cool to recapture that a little bit. So I, I want to give it back to to Wes um, and uh, give him a chance to talk a little bit about the specifics of things that we look for when we are applying this kind of St. John style lens to um, to these texts, and then we'll. Then we'll get into it. Right. Yeah, so thanks. Um, I think the other component to this uh, is a kind of interest in mythology and psychology, uh, an interest in media, right, in stories as they're told uh, in texts, but also films, video games. And that's something that we've kind of worked on uh, in the podcast form as well, uh, approaching these as a conversation. Right? We're not in the same room together like we were at St. John's, but we're still having this kind of um, living voice that, that brings the story um, back to life. Right, um, And I think that's kind of an interesting place to start with Harry Potter is the idea of the, the spoken word as it sort of like accompanies the spell, the magic that's cast. Um, not always, of course. And so the exceptions to that are also interesting. Um, some of the first ones that you see uh, involve, right, like everyday objects, like the motorcycle that levitates, right, so something totally normal with this kind of magical aspect to it. Um, and you can sort of take that as an idea and abstract from it, you know, that reading these texts gives you a way to see the world in a magical light, right, as, as something that has a deeper meaning, if you could just kind of uh, access it, right? Um, another big component to that too is the notion that not everyone in that world has that access, right? It seems that magic is a talent and a kind of secret talent even um, that is kept away from the sight of most people, right? And then there's a kind of political level to that where there's, um, uh, even within the magical world, a kind of elitism, those who have a pure blood versus those who are not, right? Those who are uh, muggle-born, right? Um, and there's a kind of history behind all of that as well. You can sort of read back into the, the history of that um, as a political problem, also as a problem within families and between families, and that sort of gets unpacked as you go through the story, right? So you can see how there's these kind of big ideas in the background of the stories, um, things that are in some ways the same as what you find in the great mythologies, uh, the great epics 
of the of the Canon, um, but with their kind of unique spin. Uh, obviously, something that's updated for a younger audience, for a modern audience, um, that gives you a kind of way into some of those great stories. Not that different from kind of what Tolkien, you know, is doing in The Hobbit, presenting these characters you can really relate to more easily as a way to bring you into this world of ancient legendary history. Um, I think that's a that's a kind of uh, background, I guess, um, to give a little bit more specific examples uh, besides the flying motorcycle, um, you might think about something as, as simple as light, right? What, what light is doing in each scene of the book, you can kind of trace that. It becomes pretty interesting right away because one of the first things you see is Dumbledore putting out the light with the putter outer, right? And then letting it go, come back. Um, uh, you can think about instead of light itself, uh, like the sources of light, the fire of the phoenix, the goblet of fire, all the flu powder that lets you travel between different places. Um, and I think we're going to see in the text that we have handed out for you guys um, some examples of the ways that little details, things small in themselves, can kind of accumulate to tell more of a story. Um, I, I think that it's important to say that, you know, we're not sort of like looking for a particular answer necessarily. Like we don't, we're not asking or like trying to lead you per se towards a particular um, discovery, but that what we'd really like is for, you know, you to ask genuine questions about the text um, as you're looking at it again uh, with a finer, you know, uh, a, kind of attention than maybe just to read the story, right? Um, so what details are you noticing? Um, what kinds of patterns mm -hmm. might you be seeing? And, and of course, kind of incorporating what you know of the story, your background with it. Um, you're obviously going to be influenced by other things that you've read, um, and that's fine. But as much as possible for the purpose of the discussion, we'd like to kind of try to focus as much as possible just on Harry Potter, right? Um, not just the text that we handed out, but um, the story that, as you guys have said, we've all read it. Um, we all have sort of the same basic thing that we're able to all look at together, right? And so we don't have like privileged information or access to something um, that, <laughs> that not everyone in the room has, right? It's a kind of democratic process in that way. Um, I think Another aspect of this that I wanted to put out uh, up front as well, um, the interest in podcasts is, again, sort of a newfangled thing. Um, maybe not that new at this point, but new enough that um, that's part of the excitement, I think, of this project for us is like mm -hmm. creating this thing together, um, putting it out there in this way that you know anybody can find and comment on and maybe... Um, maybe even get inspired to do, you know, your own podcast or other kind of uh, conversation around a book that, you know, uh, that is less well known than Harry Potter, probably, <laughs> um, to try to just expand the circle of um, interest in literature, of attention on mythological or psychological topics that are so kind of valuable and yet in time so like 
difficult to talk about, mm -hmm. I think. So again, having that kind of basic shared point of entry can be a really useful way to get those conversations started. Um, we are out of handouts, but you guys can sit by somebody and, and, and share ahead. along. Yeah. Um, I'll just piggyback to what, what Wes said here um, about, um, so I, I, Wes and Alex are two of my good friends, uh, and I would love to jump on a phone call once a week and like chat about Harry Potter, but I definitely wouldn't do it if we were not recording this, <laughs> right? Like, no offense, right? But yeah. like, um, I would not have made time. the time yeah. for it. Um, I wouldn't make the time to like sit down for an hour and a half every week and read and annotate and think about what do I want to talk about with these these two um, fellows, but um, it, it's I think the, the podcast thing is this, um, I love listening to them, but I also love the idea that they sort of hold me accountable, and it's like going to class, kind of. Um, and it's it's not like going to class in the sense that, you know, you don't have your homework and whatever. But um, but it is, um, I think, after, after our conversations, I'm usually energized because I think the magic of the circle, at St. John's this is always true, and it's true most of the time in my classes when the students really bring their A-game, um, is that like every discussion of a text yields a new understanding. And the purpose is not, um, when we sit in a circle and we have the text in front of us as teacher, the purpose is not to say like, this is the meaning, all y'all else are wrong, right? Um, but really to say, um, I have this question about it. What does this mean to you? This word is super interesting. Let's dig deep. Um, and... I have found that no matter how many times I discuss the same stuff, I come away with like a new understanding. And then when I go back to read the next five or six chapters or however much we're going to bite off for the next podcast, I read it different. Um, I, read, I read a little more attentively to that, like, oh, man, Alex mentioned the, the color in this one chapter. And I'm just, I'm going to pick up on that for the next three weeks. Um, and these discussions, I think, can really become like organic and cool in that way. You create a language almost, you yeah. know, within with your your friends or your people you're talking to, right? Um, and you kind of learn the language with which the text is explaining itself to you, mm -hmm. right? You're not sort of like impo imposing on it some prior concepts. Um, again, of course, you're influenced by lots of other things, um, and that's part of what you bring to it, right? But you're sort of like learning the language with which to understand it um, in the process of talking about it. Yeah. So do we want to give folks a few minutes to, to take a look at... Um, Wes selected the two passages that you have in front of you. One of them is from the very end of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and from chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. It's sort of the denouement of that, of that book. And then one of them is from our most recent um, reading. We are um, about a quarter of the way through the sixth book yeah. in this podcasting project. Um, yes. Yeah. Denouement means like the ending, like wrapping things up. Um, Good question. Yeah, great question. Um, so this is sort of the the the, the wrap up of the the end. This is from the last chapter of um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and then this one is from um, book six. This is one of Harry and Dumbledore's um, 
travels through the Pensies um, as he's having lessons with the headmaster, private lessons. So we figured we maybe just give folks a couple minutes. I know that that's not a lot of time, but just to scan through and see um, what see what you see. Um, see if there's details that jump out at you. If there's oh, that's a really interesting phrase that feels like it's fraught with meaning. Yeah. Um, uh, this might connect to one of the, uh, you know, or like some idea that like, oh, this seems to unlock a really deep question that like Western philosophy and literature and theology seem to uh, seem to treat on as well, since that's sort of our, the background that we're approaching it with. So we'll give you a, a couple minutes, um, and then um, and then we'll have a a seminar, a brief seminar. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. You want to put a couple minutes on the clock? Yeah. Cool. I don't have any pens. I'm sorry, but um, oh, like I have a ton of pens. Anybody want one to mark something? Look at these students up here. <laughs> Scholars. Yeah, I to Awesome. Just start throwing them. Well, just tossing them, people. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anybody else want? You know? Just before David Yang reads the first book, he kind of discarded all the hard work of everybody else. So. The way that Harry gets to talk to Dumbledore. No, the way that Gryffindor won the Cup. Oh, God. Everybody else was really hard, too. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. He did appear to be somewhat excited. Also, it also ignores the hard work of the rest of the Gryffindor. That's true. Or the lack of. Yeah. I mean, there might have been Slytherins who worked really, really hard to get the House Cup. No doubt. no doubt. That's their their greatest strength, right? Hmm? And what about the other two houses? Yeah, Hufflepuff. What oh, about them? What about them? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. Hufflepuff for life. I certainly identify with that sentiment, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll do a We'll do like a vote here at the end. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll come back to it. Interesting. Yeah, I think we have about a minute or so to, I know we're rushing you guys, yeah. but I, again, kind of presume that you all would have some familiar, familiarity with these texts. Um, so if you haven't taken a look over both of them yet, look over the other one real quick to get kind of situated and where we're at in the story here. So do people need just another 30 seconds? Yeah.
Well, so, okay. so the first thing that I would ask in, in this you know, setting as we're just kind of trying this out, I want to hear from people just briefly. If you, you don't have to raise hands or anything, um, but we'll try not to talk over one another as much as possible. Um, just kind of throw out details or points or just images, what, whatever caught your attention as you were reading over this or thinking about these scenes. Uh, you don't have to raise hands, so just, just toss oh, them out there. There were a few passages that Professor Dumbledore said. Uh, a couple of them were serious and one of them not, but the first one that I came across was, what, um, quote, what happened down in the dungeons between you and Professor School is a complete secret, so naturally the whole school knows. <laughs> and then... Was that the not serious one? What? Was that the not serious one? Not serious? Yeah, yeah. you said that. That was the one that wasn't serious, right? That, yeah. yeah. Okay, just checking. Um, and so then, quote, to one as young as you, I'm sure it seems incredible, but to Miss and Paranel, it is really like going to bed after a very, very long day. This is on death. After all, to the well organized man, death is but the next bit and run through, you know. Stone was really not such a wonderful thing. As money and, as much money and life as you could want. The two things most human beings accuse of evolve. The trouble is, humans do have a knack of thinking precisely those things that are worth <laughs> So those two passages stuck out to you? Cool. Others? Um, it's just the pattern in the first like three, I guess, technical paragraphs how she set it up. It's you know, she's a snitch in these dreams and a pair of glasses and an album Dumbledore. And it, to me, it seems like the three, like in this, in the first book especially, three of the most important things that identify who Harry is as mm -hmm. we know him. Yeah. Another great point. Yeah. In the back. Go ahead. Um, the truth is, it is beautiful and terrible things, and should therefore be treated with great caution. Although I saw a few questions, and while I have a very good reason not to, in which case I beg your forgiveness. Hmm. I shall not, of course. Truth will constitute lies. Yeah. yeah. Right. Go ahead. And then. Uh, yeah, there's a. Um, towards the end of the first page, Dumbledore says, I see you are not to be distracted. And kind of following up that, you were talking about Dumbledore has this habit of kind of having a really rounded out conversation. <laughs> and he's very tactful and he's often very kind, but he's also really tactical mm. about what he says.
It would have helped him to know that sooner. And he admits that later, right? Yeah. Which is so very why interesting. Why didn't yeah. Dumbledore just tell him that? Uh-huh. What's the way J.K. Rowling wrote it? Which is... Which is right there, that's what we want to investigate, right? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I mean, what, what, is, what would the benefit then of just waiting? Good question. Go ahead. Maybe, maybe because Harry wouldn't understand it as well then? Hmm. Well, maybe. Well, then why didn't you tell him when he was like 14? I just want to. I want to. I want us to get as many ideas out yeah. there, and then. Um, so I want to honor and the answer. And it looks like you're, you've got one from the other book too, yeah. right? Yeah. Go ahead, and then we'll go around for sure. This is a bit of a tangent from what we've been talking about already, but sure. I was looking at the House of John, and um, I was noticing it, it. It never really jumped out at me before. But his name is Morph, or Morphe, depending on how you pronounce it. Huh. And his the whole section is basically all about how he's destroying his family, and it's multi-generational. Hmm. I just, I've never noticed it before. It never caught That's a little pun that, yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. I had not noticed that either yeah, until you read it that way. Let's go around. Um, you had your hand up. Um, yeah, so to follow up what we were just talking about, about uh, mm-hmm. why Dumbledore did not tell Harry, he kind of tried to explain himself when he did tell him in the fifth book um, that he was saying, oh, I should have told you earlier but in your fourth year, uh, you had just been traumatized because you saw Cedric Diggory die in front of you. And then, oh, I should have told you before that. And he kept saying, oh, but I wanted to wait until you were older. But it, it was a really bad decision to just not tell him about the most important thing in his life, which was the fact that he was destined to have this duel with Voldemort, etc. Um, because he thought, as a child, he was not ready to handle that responsibility. But then, because he kept procrastinating that and keeping Harry in the dark, then it gave him less time to prepare and probably made things worse for him. Got it. Okay. Other other things that we noticed. I saw a lot of hands. I just want to make sure we get we get folks. I we want to get things on the table and then sort of <coughs> synthesize. Let's just go kind of around in the circle, starting with you, and then I'm sorry. I, if this was my classroom. I would never point into you, <laughs> but yeah, we'll go around this way. Go ahead, bud. Yeah. 
Generous way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't really work out. <laughs> awesome. So I think there's just one or two more. A couple other folks? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead in the back. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. We, oh, go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. I, we, we passed right over you. I'm sorry about that. Um, well, I was wondering, given that this night was such a big event in the wizarding world and a lot of people knew about it and there was some prophecy and mm -hmm. whatever, I was sort of curious that during the course of the entire series that, say, for example, Hermione did not go back into the Daily mm -hmm. Prophet mm -hmm. and look up information about that time. Mm. Trying to find out what was going on mm. to help Harry understand mm. some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. How important the past is. Yeah? yeah. What was that past like that? I know. Oh. You had your hand up. Yeah, it was just, just that I probably wrote a book about the time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really get into the analytical part about why we see Dumbledore telling Ben or Because mm -hmm. I just totally accept the fact that Joe locked her book. comments and then I want to kind of call together yeah. some of these comments that these things that jumped out at you when you when you gave it a, a, a fresh look yeah up here in the front um, and then we'll go back there. In Hover Gaunt uh, 213 about halfway through it talks about Harry suggests oh it was a Dean curse or maybe a love potion mm. and uh, Dumbledore basically immediately just disregards the Imperium Christian option he's like oh it's much more romantic to have a love potion mm -hmm. and I actually forgot that um, Harry Potter, um, Harry even mentioned the Imperius Curse, so I kind of accepted it as fact because it's blazed over. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to re-look at it in that light. Like, what if it was Imperius Curse instead, and how that tells a different story? Which is super interesting in light of the comment from um, the woman in the back about the difference between the two families, right. that one sort of is predicated upon control, right? And the other, it sort of, from all we know of it, um, what little we get of the, the life of that family is is there's much more freedom which seems to foster the thing that saves him. Yeah? Yeah. Um, sorry, in the back, um, yeah, with the gray, the dog. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, we'll go forward. The, I guess two comments. One about the first half is from the first book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which Um, I, I found it 
He's a sociopath, right? Like, or, I mean, he's like. That's something. Yeah. 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 Um, go ahead. Go ahead. I just noticed while reading this that uh, the story of Merope seems to follow a theme that goes through many of the major characters of the group of somebody escaping abuse. Mm -hmm. Right on. And it, it happens with Harry. It happens with her. I mean, even just so many characters in the book, even Dobby. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, give me your hand. I, I think when I read these, I was a self-absorbed teenager, and so I didn't think about how everyone else fit in together. Um, but now that you guys mentioned that you look at it through the lens of uh, family, and everyone else has brought up families, uh, I just really like thinking of Dumbledore as like the father figure, when you look up to is like flawless, knows everything, knows like can never be wrong. Like, and yet in yeah. many places he does still flaw. Mm -hmm. yes, yeah. yes. In many ways. But you don't realize that until you're older, right? Yeah. And and for and for Harry and particularly in the sixth book when Dumbledore sort of stops being this you know, um, omnipotent force <laughs> and he he shows his physical weakness, he's showing in this in in, in this case he's using Phrases like, I'm inclined to think that, as opposed to, I know, this is the way it is, right? I know things, and I'm only going to reveal some of it to you because I am this arbiter of knowledge. As teachers, one of the things that Wes and Alex and I always come back to is how there is, like, embedded in these seven books a lot about, like, juvenile to adolescent development and what kids are ready for. Um, like, are you ready to accept that your parents are human and not superhuman in all of the ways, right? Like, in all of the ways that they are powerful over you. But are you, are you ready to accept that, like, the world ain't black and white and that it's, like, a little bit more gray and you kind of have to experience it? And maybe his mom is a little bit sympathetic. And, um, Voldemort's yeah. mom. Voldemort, yeah, sorry, Voldemort's mom. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, um, Yes, go for it, and then uh, we'll hear, hear from one more folks. I shall not, of course, lie, but then later on, mm -hmm. ah, your father happened to leave it in my possession, and I thought you might like it. Dumbledore's eyes twinkled. Useful things. Your father used it mainly for sneaking off to the kitchen to steal food when he was here. That's not true. That would just yeah, he mainly used that to sneak out with Lupin. Leaving out some important things. So that, yeah. that's, not just, that's a flat-out lie. Well, so, you don't want to I mean, when you grow up, maybe a lie. Well, in certain situations, <laughs> as an adult, it wasn't his place to share with secret. Right. Mm -hmm. so, he, he's not going to share it with Harry because he didn't have nothing to do with But James Potter uses her log wasn't just stealing food. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. A, a new, yeah, I want to hear a, a new voice. Yeah. And as a parent, I think that's a Mm. with anything wild. He 
doesn't give Harry increased responsibility for any of them. He treats him as a child throughout the entire arc of the story. I think that's particularly true in the is it the fifth book when Harry's always angry because yeah. Dumbledore is yeah. shunning him? Yeah, apparently. teenage angst comes out. And it, it really backfires. And Dumbledore does apologize at the end of that fifth book. I think it's a big turning point. I mean, each book, you know, each end of the book, you sort of see that moral Aesop's fable kind of thing sort of shift to a, a more and more revelation, hmm. a more and more of this kind of the truth coming out. All right. I, I want to, yeah, I want to kind of just bring together some things, and we'll, we'll have time for more Q&A and comments from you guys. Just to bring together briefly a few things that maybe came out of that uh, process, right? Um, I think maybe we could see certain themes and patterns starting to emerge, right? So a lot of the comments kind of coalesce around similar topics of family, of truth, of... Of knowledge, and like, how do you know things? Do you know yeah. things because people tell them to you? Do you know things because you see them? Right? Remember, Harry is witnessing things in this pensive. I think the French for um, to think mm-hmm. is penser, right? Mm-hmm. So, which, where the, that, so does he get, the older he gets, does he get access to, to more and more opportunities to know things on his own? Is that better knowledge than being told by somebody? Right. So, thinking about knowledge in particular in the scope of the arc of the story, right? What kinds of things is he ready to hear? What kinds of things is he ready to process? Um, is an element of knowledge, at least maybe a really important one, um, but certainly an element, some kind of experiential knowledge, mm-hmm. right, of his going through some of these things and then being ready kind of to articulate them or hear them later after the fact. Um, is there, you know, is there even going to be a story if Dumbledore just comes out and tells us stuff in book one, right? Obviously, as a writer, if any of you guys are interested in kind of creative writing and stuff, you got to think about, like, how can I show and not tell? Or when is it appropriate to give a little bit more information to lead the reader in in, in different ways, right? Make them feel for this character because he's so angry because Dumbledore won't talk to him. So these are all sort of things you can think about from that kind of perspective as well of what makes this a great book, right? That's mm-hmm. a question you continually will come back to when you're doing this kind of reading, uh, whether you're challenged by your students because they don't like the book, or whether you're just kind of thinking about, like, how can I better, you know, make the case that this is, you know, worth reading, um, that it has something to teach. And often that's kind of, again, through the process of, of doing this kind of reading. Um, so I hope that's interesting enough that you guys will kind of take that little kernel away and, and run with that on your own. I think um, um, I think the other thing that I heard a lot of people bring up, family, hmm. I, I heard someone say something about how, about abusive situations, about how there are all these characters who seem to be in these places of resistance, right? Um, Merope, who is also a character from classic mythology, she's um, the adoptive mother of Oedipus um, and the motherless child. Or, sorry, not the mother's child, the childless mother, <laughs> um, uh, who, who cannot have her own children. And so she adopts, um, not knowing that this, this young boy, yeah. this, this, this infant son, has this terrible prophecy. Um, it's in, an interesting you know, choice of name, right? Um, and that's something we talk about a lot on the podcast, but 
but just that there's a lot of, um, that there's some interesting parallels, right, and interesting contrasts presented in these two passages about mothers yeah. um, and about mothers and their relationship in some way to their children, um, the, the places that these mothers come from, the power of blood. Um, and I think um, when we have these conversations, I, w- I hope that maybe you go home and you, like, find your book um, and, like, Maybe as you're reading or watching, um, you might see like, oh man, that that passage that I noticed in this one little paragraph, like it sort of is like this other passage that I'm encountering now. And I think what it does for me is two things. One, it gives me a lot of respect for J.K. Rowling um, and the work that, that it takes to lay these breadcrumbs or Easter eggs for us. Um, but the other thing is that I think some of the questions that are sort of eternal, like um, what makes a good parent, or um, uh, what is the best way to organize society, or what does it mean to really know something? How do you know you know it, in fact? Um, What does it mean to teach? Um, What is the nature of love versus, say, control? These are eternal questions that um, we know Western and non-Western thinkers have been thinking about and writing about for ages. And it's sometimes a lot easier, at least in my experience, to talk about these things, especially the hard ones, like what is evil? Uh, and what does that look like? And what does it do to you um, when you're around it too much? It's a lot easier for me to talk about those questions with characters in another world. Um, and I think that's something that that at least for my students, I want them to be able to talk about these things and face these things and have answers for themselves. Um, but like for a for a 14-year-old, this is an easier place to do it, right? Um, and I hope that um, that if you're interested in this kind of inquiry, that you'll check us out, that maybe you'll start doing it on your own with your own books or other series like Wes mentioned. Um, and that's that's it from my soapbox. Um, but I, I do want to, I, I did see hands in the air. Yeah. So I can tell that, like, people are, like, energized by the conversation, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, that's that's called go. the magic of seminar, BTW. Um, yeah, uh, over here. The basic difference between these two books, I mean, mm-hmm. is the first one is a child's book. And Harry is treated like a child, he's spoken to as a child. And he responds to the uncle door with, Yes, you're right. That's the absolute truth, and I won't go any farther. And you told me. Whereas in this one, it's not so much. Mm-hmm. And the one that really shows shows it. I mean, it was very very complicated, traumatic experience. And Dumbledore ends up talking about Bertie Bucky. You're right. Talking to my head when I read it was. That's the eternal question here, really. I wasn't sure I wanted to go on to the second because it was too childlike. But I read an article that said that she planned each book for this one for an 11 year old, this one is for a 12 year old, this one's for a 13, and she increased the vocabulary, she increased the syntax of the culture. The plot uh, manipulation to go with each age group as she got older. And that intrigued me just enough to skip the textbook. And I, you know. And then then you're off, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think that earwax is a nice image, too, for like just 
blocking out things, right? Like, huh. that's what's in your ears when you can't hear, right? Um, that, like, there are certain things that he's not, that, like, he needs earmuffs for. I mean, I know that that's, like, a maybe mixing metaphors or whatever. No, but no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in the back, and then we'll sneak around. Go ahead. Go ahead, bud. Thanks for being patient, Chris. Yeah, so some inspiration for this project. I don't know if you guys have heard the Tolkien Professor podcast, which is great. So he was a he was a teacher of mine at undergrad actually, and I reconnected with Corey Olson not too long ago. And so we're we're working on kind of more stuff for younger audiences or for the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson. So if if you search for that, um, that should be what comes up. He's got a whole online university that he's kind of working on from scratch, really. And so if you're interested in this sort of thing, that would be a great place to check out. Uh, Signum University is the name of that project. Um, that, that was a big inspiration for us. Um, and yeah, I, there's, there's just tons of great stuff out there about Harry Potter, about the kinds of themes and topics we're interested in. And, and again, you know, um, we really appreciate you guys taking this time to talk with us. 
Hope this has been interesting for you. And we, yeah, we really think that the book is the best teacher. It teaches us how to read it um, by giving us all the little clues that we need for what to look for um, and at what level maybe to be asking questions. Um, and so we have um, a little half sheet with like ways to find out more. Alex, who's not with us, is like the most prolific of podcasters. And he, <laughs> if you're really interested in like the great books um, yeah. or um, a particularly literature as it, as it is a, considered a great book. So like the Inferno, the, um, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, all these classics. Um, if you're interested in that, bless you. Um, letting the text be your teacher, I think, is it's kind of a fun project. But um, speaking of teachers, we have like Socrates on the left and Dumbledore on the right for the, the method, the interrogative piece, um, which leads him into danger, both Socrates and Dumbledore. Um, Anyway, so feel free to pick one up. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's super late on a Saturday, and there's like a masked ball of some yeah. kind, and everybody has all that to attend to, but thank you for joining us right. to chat about things that we love for an hour. Thank it's you. It's awesome. Yeah.